Listeners, uh, this is Philip, your sometimes host, and uh, I'm here with a very special guest today. Uh, we've got, uh, well, first of all, from our team, we got Q. Q, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing, Phil? Not too bad, man. Um, it's been a while. You're you're calling in from uh, Texas today, right? I am. I am. It's a crazy state of affairs here in the big Lone Star State. Excellent. We haven't had you on the show in in a, in a while. You've been kind of working behind the scenes on Plan A, so uh, super happy to have you back. Um, and I want to introduce our guest, Luna. Luna, how are you doing? Hi, I'm Luna from Luna Oi. I'm Vietnamese living in Vietnam and I have my YouTube channel that I do everything about Vietnam from cooking to traveling and politics stuff. So yeah, nice to meet you too. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, so, so, uh, so it's funny because Q and I actually both um, independently came across your your channel and your presence online. I think I came across your YouTube. Oh, no, sorry. Other way around. I came across your Twitter mm-hmm. and Q came across your YouTube just in like the last <laughs> um, month and a bit since the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. gone worldwide. And, you know, this episode in particular um, for Plan A is, is a pretty special one because we're talking to someone who's actually out in Vietnam um, and is going to bring us um, a bit of background and experience around the situation with uh, coronavirus in Vietnam, and and I think a bit more about life in general in Vietnam as well. Um, and it should be an interesting conversation, right? Because uh, Q and I are both uh, Vietnamese. Uh, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll give a bit, a bit of our background in a second, um, but we're diaspora, you know. Um, and so it should be a pretty fun conversation to see uh, what it's like to have someone who's kind of native from Vietnam, uh, you know, sharing experiences of life there, um, talking to to two diaspora kids. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so maybe uh, Q, you can give us a bit of a intro to your connection to to Vietnam. Sure. So I've been a couple times in my life, but um, you know I am a big Q of diaspora Vietnamese, uh, born and raised here in Texas, and uh, you know the understanding of how I see the country and um, how it kind of plays out in world politics is something that's really been influenced by my community here in the United States. So we come at it from a very, very different perspective from, mm-hmm. um, say, how Luna and how other um, Native uh, people will see their own country. Yeah. Um, so your, your parents are both from Vietnam. What, what part of Vietnam? Mm-hmm. So my dad is from the central part, and my mom is from uh, the south. Got it. Oh, okay, cool. got it. I am from the central of Vietnam, too. Mm. You're from uh, Hue, right? No, I'm from Thanh Hoa. Thanh Hoa is the province that, like, in the first uh, century of Vietnam. Oh, no, I mixed it up. Thank you. You're one of your, one of your parents from Hue. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Oh, okay. Hue is very cute. Very cute city. <laughs> Ancient city. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then a bit about myself. I'm, uh, well, my, my uh, parents are both from Saigon. Mm-hmm. Um, left uh, after the war around 79. Um, mm. Did not did not meet in Vietnam. They actually both, um, you know, left as refugees uh, after mm. a long path, made their way to uh, Manitoba, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Um, mm-hmm. ha- kind of wonder because my dad apparently stepped off the plane in February. 
So it would have been like negative 30 Celsius <laughs> or so uh, on average in Winnipeg. Kind of wonder how he felt uh, coming out here. And so anyway, he, he and my mom met um, in Winnipeg. Uh, I was born there and I, I kind of grew up in uh, Toronto uh, in Canada my entire life. I've not been to Vietnam. Um, I'm actually pretty, I would say pretty ignorant about life in Vietnam. I've been kind of connecting more with it, learning more about it, you know, through reading online, YouTubers like, like your channel, Luna. Um, but fairly ignorant, so it should be pretty cool to get schooled by the two of you guys who, who mm. uh, have visited or have lived there their entire lives and know a lot more. Hey, Philip, uh, uh, I have a tip for you, like uh, a thing that you should be careful when you, if you go to Vietnam one day, right? Okay, okay? what's that? So like, you look totally Vietnamese. So Vietnamese people, if you go to Vietnam, Vietnamese people will suppose, will like, you are supposed to know Vietnamese. So oh. be prepared for people to try to talk to you in Vietnamese. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, so so actually, like, I guess a, a, that's interesting because one more kind of twist for me is that like I'm actually like I'm Viet Q, like like you um, mm. Q, but uh, in the sense that I'm you know Vietnamese diaspora, but I'm also like this is a term I learned recently, Hua H U A Hua. Mm. So I'm ethnically Chinese, mm-hmm. um, but my family's from Vietnam. So I see. Yeah, and so you know, I've I've been back to Asia a bunch of times. I've been to to China once, Beijing, uh, on a work trip, and I I obviously people assumed I, I spoke Chinese. I didn't really ex- expect them to necessarily. Um, <laughs> didn't really think about the same situation in, in Vietnam. I don't speak. I actually I speak Cantonese. I don't speak Mandarin. So I wasn't that useful. Oh, you in, speak in Cantonese. Oh, you, if you yeah. speak Cantonese, you can talk to a lot of people in the south of Vietnam, especially. That, in that's my understanding. Yeah, that's mm. my understanding too. So that's my, that's that's the plan. Um, but Vietnamese, <laughs> uh, not so much. Uh, Q, Q, do you do you speak Vietnamese? I do, um, but it is always a work in progress. I yeah. just don't use it a lot on a day-to-day basis, so it's something that I usually uh, use when I'm with uh, family, especially since at home when I was mm-hmm. growing up, there was a rule that we couldn't speak English in the house. So It's we, a good rule, uh, man. Only speak Vietnamese. Yeah, it's, it was very important. It's the only reason why I can still read and write today. You can read and write as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Super impressive. Yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. Let's let's get into it. So you know, we, we can we can talk about. I think we've always wanted to do an episode just talking about um, being kind of Vietnamese diaspora kids. Uh, mm-hmm. But today we want to focus a bit on coronavirus, right, and COVID nineteen and the situation um, in Vietnam in particular, right? Uh, the kind of stories and and the really the success stories coming out of Vietnam uh, that are pretty impressive. Uh, but maybe before we we get into that, just just some context for our listeners who may not know a lot about the country. Q, could you give a little bit of context on kind of Vietnam as a, a country and an economy? Because I think it's pretty important to set the stage for how things are contrasted in Vietnam versus, say, in the States or in Canada. Sure. Um, so I can definitely start off just with a little bit of background uh, information on Luna. Feel free to jump in to correct me uh, just okay. in case uh, anything that I say might be incorrect. Um, but uh, just a couple of pieces of information about the economy. First off, is that the, their economy is only 1% of the U.S.'s entire GDP. Their budget is only 0.02% of the United States's. So the scale of the economic processes that we're talking about are going to be a lot smaller than what, I guess, Americans or those in the quote-unquote West might be used to. The population of the country is uh, roughly 98 million. And according to a forecast by uh, PwC in February 2017, Vietnam is considered to be among the fastest growing of the world economies, um, and it really makes it a potential kind of uh, locus point in Asia for countries um, kind of trying to do uh, business or start up economic cooperations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, really um, 
prosperous area to be in the country right now or in the in the continent yeah and do you get a sense of that luna like living there like is, is there a sense that now nowadays like there's a lot of growth a lot of excitement economically there's a lot of activity going on Yes, there are a lot. Um, Vietnam, like just just yesterday, me and American, my partner, went out to the street, and then we saw like the all the construction and big building and big roads, mm-hmm. huge roads for highway. Like been, uh, it has been building for years, and then like even EJ had to say that, damn, Vietnam is developing so fast, man. <laughs> so so that's the, the 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 feeling of us. Like Vietnam is developing really fast. And then the it's uh, such as like we make like big highway, really high quality highway from north to south, and then like here all the kind of big buildings, economy stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually so like there's a, a couple of videos um, that you've produced, Luna, that are that are super interesting, relevant to this topic. We'll, we'll share them in the show links. Uh, one of them is about like uh, kind of Vietnam Vietnam's like treatment of people versus the economy. Um, mm. As of the COVID nineteen crisis, and then the other one that that um, Q pointed me at, which was uh, interesting for understanding the situation, was like uh, an episode. I think it's titled like "Is Vietnamese uh, Sorry Is Vietnam a Socialist Country?" Mm-hmm. Um, and in that one, you you kind of go through a bit of the history. You talk about um, this period in the nineties, the, the early nineties, called like the Doi yeah. Moi um, yes. uh, reforms that happened, mm-hmm. um, and that path where Viet- Vietnam kind of like was forced to adopt kind of free market you yes. know economics mm-hmm. um was a big part of that acceleration right so yes. th- that's kind of interesting because i think um uh you know the, the, the there's there's this like desire to kind of move towards um you know a, a fully communist state like that's the the kind of stated goal of the of the uh, government there yes, yes um but you know along that path they are kind of adopting this uh capitalist approach like parts yes. of the capitalist approach of the free market um and we, i mean that's a lot of what's driving the growth from what i understand is that like there there's a lot of infrastructure going you know being put in place um yes, you know there's a exactly. lot of jobs being yes. created but at the same time there's this like uniquely socialist um you know uh kind of flavor to it right so like you talk mm-hmm. about like co-ops and stuff right you talk about yes, how there's yes. like tons of business yes. but the businesses are conducted in a way where like it may be state-owned or maybe cooperative, right? Yes, so, yes, exactly. um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of curious how you feel about that, right? Because like, there is a lot of growth, like you said, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's still very small, but it's growing very quickly. Um, but do, do the people there feel like it's a lot of that is kind of attributed to the kind of free market capitalistic approach? And is that kind of like disappointing for, for people who are, um, very pro-communist there? Yes. Or is um, it just, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for Vietnam, for communists like my dad, he's very angry whenever he talked about like uh, how capitalism is ruining the country. Mm-hmm. He's very angry because he's a communist party member. But like, um, but like uh, when, but we still have hope because like we can still see that the government are like forcing a lot of socialist program to mix with it to to like right. to like coexist with capitalism right. so we still have hope we still have, have hope and still like have some trust in the government in some special aspect such as like uh, they have um rice stabilization program you know, like yeah. in 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 many other countries you might call it price control program but actually mm-hmm. in Vietnam we don't use the word control because it doesn't mean control it means like stabilization it means like when the price is too high we make it lower 
when the price too low, we'll keep it in a stable price and we will take the profit to, to become a uh, like a budget to bring in mm-hmm. like so something like that. And bring we also surplus, have yeah. yeah, it's also have like we also have um, agriculture product price stabilization. We have medicine price stabilization program mm-hmm. or stuff like that and gasoline too. So like if you go to Vietnam. Like we don't have free education and free um, healthcare system, but they are both very affordable because we have a mm-hmm. price stabilization for that. Yeah, and I'm super happy that you that you brought it in uh, the topic in that way because that's that's going to be relevant to the conversation about COVID, right? And how the Vietnamese mm-hmm. government has addressed um, the the COVID nineteen situation compared to how how things are happening in in other countries like in the West. Um, so maybe we can jump into that. So. Like Luna, you're you're obviously there um, in Vietnam, like on the ground. You know, you're seeing this stuff happen. You're you're posting a lot about it on Twitter. Um, mm. That's how I came across your presence. I I saw that you. I think the first tweet I saw you post um, was about a a woman who was producing like a hundred meals a day mm-hmm. um, to to give to uh, kind of workers in Vietnam. Um, yeah. And it, I think it was like <laughs> you posted it in contrast to a, a post from I think EJ, your partner, about uh. Uh, Bill Clinton. Um, yes. delivering uh, like a hundred pizzas or something like four hundred pizzas four hundred pizzas yeah one time <laughs> or something like that so um, and then you know and that was cool for me to see because I was like I didn't really know what was going on in in Vietnam in terms mm-hmm. of like the coronavirus you know the lockdown the effects on the economy and what the people are doing in response to it um, so maybe you can tell us a bit about like you know today like you know it's it's what the sec the first week of of May. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the situation there? Well, how's the quarantine looking? How are the case counts looking? You know. Okay, um, uh, this is uh, the um, the real time report about Vietnam okay. from Luna Oi. Vietnam, we have uh, 278 cases, or uh, 88 okay. cases, 288 cases. We just have 17 new cases yesterday, but the fact mm-hmm. is, all they came from Middle East. And then we quarantined them directly, like immediately, right when they got to our airport. So, ah, uh, so so they're so, doing you're doing like quarantine centers, kind of like they are in some parts of China. Yes, exactly. So like we 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 um, actually we separate them into two types of cases, like cases found out inside society of Vietnam, and we take mm-hmm. that very seriously because like we have to track down everybody who got contact with that patient, and then put them all into quarantine and test. But like right. the the other less threatened sources of cases is from like directly from international flights or our border. Even though uh, international flights only because we still close our borders. So like yeah, we quarantine them directly immediately right after you they got out of the airplane and we found out they that patients and they got the virus in the quarantine area. So it's not a threat at all. And here's the funny thing is. Now here's the happy thing is, actually, uh, now our government is sending flights to many other parts of the world to take our people home. Oh, I see. So you're flying out to other countries where there's Vietnamese folks, kind of mm. like on vacation or on on work trips or, or work there. who are stuck somewhere. Yeah. Yes. And and bringing them back home bring them back home because our slogan is no one is left behind so like we will help them even like if they don't have money we can like offer them international flight for free just to get them home q q is is america doing that anywhere i'm just kind of curious i don't don't really know like are they are they like chartering flights or whatever like getting folks um you know subsidized flights back home do you know 
Uh, I highly doubt it, especially when you consider the topic of subsidizing anything given our economy <laughs> right now. I, I just don't think that's very likely, especially with uh, the kind of shutdown of our airports and our abilities to fly on a regular basis. I just yeah. don't see the United States offering any kind of uh, subsidy or some kind of like um, alteration of our current uh, course. Yeah, I think I think uh, in the early weeks, Canada was doing it. Like Trudeau mm. made this call for everyone to kind of quote unquote come home. It's mm. time to come home now, he says. And, and I think there was some subsidies in place, um, mm. but not a ton. There was a lot of chaos. Like it took a lot of work to get people back. Mm. Um, a lot of people decided, a lot of Canadians just decided to stay wherever they were <laughs> around mm. the world and not come back home. Um, mm. Maybe because they felt like the situation wasn't stabilized in Canada just yet. So mm. uh, interesting to hear that in Vietnam, like not only are things kind of stable there, um, but you're also kind of reaching out and, and bringing people back. Yeah. Um, but six, 16 people though, because 16 people is a bit of a, a blip because what I've heard is that in the last two weeks, um, there's been some cities like Hanoi where there's like, essentially zero new cases right like it's very uh, yeah. quiet yeah uh since now like this, today is the day 22 or 23rd day we contain the virus inside the country so like a few oh, day few days more we and we can announce that we all totally contain the virus interesting and what so and what's going on with with people right because so you know you're watching the cases and stuff but are, are people gen- like generally under quarantine are there stay-at-home orders mm. is it enforced by police like how what is that looking like um, uh, we have um, uh, mandatory quarantine. So now, even though we haven't found any new cases in 23 days, but like there are still about 20,000 people in quarantine, both like they can be quarantined at home, at their house, or be quarantined in the quarantine area. And uh, so like, uh, actually, it sounds, it might sound to you very authoritarian, but like everybody, every Vietnamese, oh, uh, like we are willing to do that because we want to protect other people's life. And it is great actually to many people because like, just think about suddenly you have a two weeks vacation in a room and <laughs> everything is fucking free. Food free, shelter free, uh, Wi-Fi available everywhere. And you have three meals every day and then you can like, exercise and a yeah. lot of people say that they got chubbier because they eat it like too he- healthily every day <laughs> for two weeks yeah, it, it's kind of funny because i've seen some of the food because you've, you've been sharing photos on your twitter um mm. some of the food that's that's uh given to quarantine folks in vietnam um looks fucking delicious uh, uh yes. that and that and the care packages in south korea look amazing as well like mm-hmm. um and I just can't imagine. Like, so first of all, like, I don't think America is ever going to do quarantine centers like that. I don't know if Canada would either. But I can't imagine the food being that good <laughs> in those situations, right? So. Oh, I just want to add you some good of the meal is, and then they even gave people like free, like, oh, uh, on the first, uh, like first month of the doing the Manadin quarantine in in quarantine area, a lot of mm-hmm. families they worried about the government didn't like supply well to their children over there or something and so like they gather together in the gate and then try to send as much as like things stuff inside as possible so like it caused like really like chaos out there in the gate of the quarantine area the, the place supposed to be very quiet and so yeah. like the government decided to okay you don't have to send everything i will offer everything i will supply everything to you if from like the toothbrush to yeah. to the, wow. the the tower everything everything you don't need to send anything so that's it everything is free so everything like okay, okay fine just have a two week is free vacation in a room wait so how does that like 
it sounds very very tempting like how does this work <laughs> like if you so if you go and you get tested i know that tests like on a per per million on a per capita basis vietnam is kind of blowing away yeah. everyone on tests yeah. yes. um, so if you get tested and you're positive with covid 19 you're saying mm. that you can either choose to stay at home or you can choose to enter a quarantine center right that's mm-hmm. what you're saying no 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 if you like uh if you uh, there are two cases that two situations that you can you have to go to quarantine first you go out okay. from any international flight to vietnam you have to automatically go to quarantine for 14 days okay. and if they found out the cases inside vietnam they will like and if you have physical contact with one patient they will go to your your house and then bring you to quarantine or hospital and then take you blood test. Uh, oh, I see. Can give you free blood test. See, if I you see, see. if yeah, if you positive to the quarantine, you will stay in the hospital to get the treatment. If not, you will still go to quarantine for another 14 days and they will test your blood like once every 2 days or something to make sure in in 14 days to make sure that you totally clean from the virus. See, I I think the concept of like a mandatory quarantine is so foreign to people in North America, like, mm-hmm. like myself, that I'm yeah. just like I didn't really yes. understand what you meant. But you're saying it it literally is mandatory. Like you have to go. They they make the conditions as like you know nice as possible, but you do have to go and stay. Yes, you have days. to go. It's the we say that it's a responsibility. If you are the citizen of this planet, it's the rest right. your responsibility to go to quarantine to protect other people's life. Right. Jesus Christ, man! Like you, you know, you're you're in Texas. Um, have you guys had people at at like you know like assembly halls and stuff with like weapons protesting? Because uh, we've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of the news. That I don't know. Like just just you know, as a Canadian consuming like news from America, I'm, I'm not sure like how prevalent that is. But like, there's a lot of this imagery these days, right? Of people with like large assault rifles in front of um, city halls and stuff protesting. I can't say that I've seen people having physical weapons trying to, like, you know, pr- preach about having their rights infringed upon by the government or anything like, but anything like that. But it is uh, a stark reminder that the sense of uh, patriotism and how it's reflected within a country really says a lot uh, in response to this virus. Like in Vietnam, they say, uh, which is like to mm-hmm. stay home is to love your country and to love uh, mm. your people whereas in the united states to love your country is to uh, preach about how wearing masks infringes upon your freedom it just says a lot about kind of <sighs> the culture of, of of how we're responding to this situation it's it's really sad honestly yeah yeah it, i mean it's just like a i know we keep going back to talking about like what's it like in vietnam what's it like in america but like the contrast is yes. is kind of um very it, it's re- like remarkable to just look at the contrast right yes um it's yeah. amazing. The contrast is amazing in a sad way. In a sad way, yeah. Um, I mean, especially given like what the death. So it's like one of the quotes you have here in your notes, um, Q, it's in this article that says, it is a stark contrast to many other nations, including the U.S., where more Americans have died from COVID-19 than during the entire Vietnam War. Hmm. Someone on Twitter pointed, that, pointed out that, that that's only if you count American casualties. Mm-hmm. You count, right. you know, the million Vietnamese folks they slaughtered. Yes, it's nearly, not quite the same number uh, just yet, right? Yeah, this is about like nearly two million people died. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so in that sense, like these two countries, I think are always kind of compared to each other because of this tumultuous war they've had before, right? And and I think mm. right now is no different because we're talking about like sixty k plus 
uh, dead in the States and zero um, in, in Vietnam. Um, so let's, let's talk about that, right? So like, why the hell is Vietnam so successful? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a poor country. Uh-huh. It's got, yes. it's got a, a thousand kilometer long, uh, border with China, with China, with China yes. Yes. right? And, and there's another note here about how like the transmission started around Tet, right? Mm. Where people are presumably gathering in large numbers and so on, but yeah. somehow like, like there's basically, there's no deaths and there's basically essentially compared to most other countries, like on a per capita basis, like very few cases at all. So like what, what is happening, Lena, that's making this successful in Vietnam? Okay, there are several reasons, but I, the first one is that we took the virus very seriously from the start. So like since December 2019, when we heard about the pandemic, the new kind of dangerous uh, virus appeared in um, in Wuhan, China, we like, mm-hmm. even like before we got the very first case in Vietnam, we prepared everything for that. We got the plans, we got like, well, we got five level of plans to do based on the number of cases. So the first plan is about like less than 100 cases, something like that. And then the second plan is less than 300 cases. Okay. Uh, the next one is less than 1,000 cases. And the next next one is about like less than 3,000 cases. And the last one is 30,000 cases. So we have detailed plans for all levels like that. So like we got like we prepare very well everything. So like we literally just wait for the first case to happen and then do what we already planned. And then right. we, Vietnam is also some of the very first country in the world who got the virus. And when we we did exactly what we, as we planned. And also we had a plenty of um, experience from SARS in 2003 and the mm-hmm. flu H1N1. So like we already had experience in dealing with the kind of contagious virus like this. Yeah. So that's interesting, right? Because I've been hearing, I've been trying to figure out like why are some of these countries, especially these Asian countries, really successful? People chalk it up to all sorts of stuff like wearing masks and so on. And one of the things they talk about is like preparedness from previous epidemics, right? So like South Korea, also very successful. Mm -hmm. I learned later that the reason for that was because they had a lot of preparation and planning from when they experienced MERS uh, several years ago. But I don't think it's that simple, right? Because like even like Canada, right? Like Toronto here um, had experienced a, a, a outbreak of SARS mm-hmm. um, back in two thousand and three or four, um, and in the early days of the coronavirus, um, you know, pandemic, you know, breaking out here, there was some talk about us being slightly more prepared because we had you know all this preparation from from mm-hmm. what we learned from SARS, but the situation is still not super great here. Right, like mm. we're still seeing worse numbers per capita than South Korea and and Vietnam. So, planning, I think, is definitely a big part of it, but it doesn't explain it, <laughs> at least yeah. not for Canada anyway. Mm. Um, but but you're saying like they were ready, I, and I, my understanding too is in Vietnam they they shut down the border, like and the yes. flights to to China specifically, yes. like way Just earlier, than most way countries. earlier, than, and I kind of I was so disappointed when, like. Uh, they talk about like how good it is for the, the other country to shut down schools and uh, international flights. Like, they did it like weeks after Vietnam and nobody cared about Vietnam. Because like, just mm-hmm. a week after we found out the first case in in Vietnam came from uh, uh, two, two people from China. Like we immediately shut down the borders with Vietnam and shut down all international flights from and to China. Way earlier, and nobody cared about us. Like only I, when I think like you, 
did Vietnam do it before the WHO even started recommending? Yes. Yeah. You know what? Like we had to even explain because like WHO criticized Vietnam for doing that. They criticize oh, really? us that like we are doing like too, uh, 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 too strong and too strong, and we should not do that because you, we take it too serious, and we should not do that. You know, it would be bad reputation for us. Something like we had to even explain to WHO about why we did that, and it turned out to be like we've been right the whole time. Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of interesting. The the idea of um, being right the whole time has kind of led to. Uh, you know, you, you kind of have some bragging rights, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Hi, hi, hindsight is twenty twenty. So any, everyone's looking back and said, okay, fuck, we should have closed our borders down just like Vietnam did like way earlier, right? Because it, <laughs> it, it, it's now a insane global pandemic that's yeah. killing tons of people. Um, but but Vietnam does have some amount of gloating, like gloating um, you know, abilities at this point uh, because of how well they've, they've handled it. Um, but I don't, I don't think they are. I mean, there's like... I, there's maybe a little bit of smugness, especially when people start to mm. do things like like question, mm. like the the like how real the numbers are. We'll, we'll talk about that as well, like mm. criticizing Vietnam and mm. like questioning if if the zero deaths number are, are, are real and so on. Um, mm. But Vietnam's also like kind of uh, taking an opportunity to to reach out as well and um, help out the the international community, right? So like I, I think on your Twitter, you're sharing photos of like. Um, you know, garment workers who are now sewing like thousands of masks and, and mm. preparing ventilators and so on, and and mm. uh, you know, sharing a lot of this uh, knowledge. I think there's a uh, the testing kit from Vietnam. Um, I learned is like one of the cheapest ones that are out mm. there. It is you know up to up to par, right? Because the first thing people are going to say is like it's going to be a shitty test from a shitty country, mm. right? That's mm. not up to par, but no, it's completely up to par with I think the UK CDC. Mm. Um, and and now you're trying to export these like tests, these tools, right? Masks yeah. and so on. Um, yes, and, yeah, and ventilators too. Ventilators as well, yeah. Mm. Um, I, I think there's, so this note here describes it as like a, as kind of a form of like internationalism. Mm. Um, is this is this normal for Vietnam? Like, I, you know, as a poor country, it's hard for you to reach out and like, you know, uh, do a lot of um, foreign aid, mm. right? But in this situation, you can because the, the country's in better shape. The country mm. has like the right infrastructure to produce mm. like PPE and, and all the goods needed, ventilators and whatnot. Um, but but this is usually not the case with Vietnam, right? Vietnam, like, I don't think they, I, I, I don't know, I'm ignorant. Like, is this, a, is this a normal thing for Vietnam to reach out to other countries like this? It's totally normal. You know, ever like, even in my, uh, the video is Vietnam Socialist. Even, I even like mentioned the fact that like, um, in the 70s and the 80s, when we were so poor and in a bad shape and just got out of the war, and, and we got the help from the USSR, and we immediately sent our help to Laos to help them build Laos, mm -hmm. the, uh, the build road. So, like, my dad was, like, the one of the volunteers to, to go to Laos and help. So, like, even in the early, in the late 70s and early 80s, when we were already so poor, so, like, uh, I, I mean, like, Vietnam is always willing to help other countries. Yes, always willing to. And then if we can do it, we will do it. And talking about like politically, it's also a good way to create good reputation of Vietnam to the world because we know that our image is very ugly compared to a lot of like Western right. me me media. So like this is a really good chance for Vietnam to show to the world that we, what we actually are and how we are willing to help other countries, something like that. Yeah, 
I feel like there's there's some amount of suspicion that comes from the West when when they see you know uh, you know global South communist countries you know do acts of good like that right like we're seeing it in the mm-hmm. news a lot with China where like every time China tries to help out during the the crisis mm-hmm. you know the New York Times or the Washington Post is going to come in and say like okay but like you know we should be suspicious of the fact that they're mm. trying to use this to their advantage, right? Mm. Um, I, I don't think we're seeing as much of that criticism about, like, Vietnam's aid, maybe because it's less publicized than, than mm. like, China's relations. But have you seen a lot of pushback on, on you know, the fact that Vietnam is actually helping out uh, during coronavirus? No, I don't. Uh, we, I don't. Like, actually, we send, like, tow- hundreds of thousands of masks and protective suits and test kits and ventilators to other countries and... As far as I know, the news that I read, uh, all like just saying like thank you to, to 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 Vietnam and like the Vietnamese community in a lot of countries, such as in Czech, uh, in Europe, they mm-hmm. are they are making like uh, free masks and send it to f- for free to people over there, and a lot of people they are saying like so thankful for Vietnamese community in their country to do this, and they they can feel like the sense of like collectivism. Solidarity mm-hmm. from Vietnamese community in their own countries. A lot, a lot happened in uh, California actually. Like even like the the nails shop owners when they got mm-hmm. like uh, uh, gloves and protective suits, they sent it it's for free to the New York government to have the hospital. That's that's very awesome to hear. Um, uh, Q, I mean your. You talk a lot about how you know you, you kind of keep a your finger on the on the pulse of um, like the the Viet diaspora, young folks, like older folks, like your parents and so on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who have kind of contentious views with the idea of like um, communist Vietnam as like a, a quote unquote good country. Um, you know, people who who really like have a hard time dealing with the fact that that mm-hmm. like they're doing well as a as a communist country, but also like helping others. Like, have you seen pushback from? like your family or friends or even online on like Soviet treats and, and other spaces um, around like Vietnam trying to trying to help out outside of their borders? Yeah, I think there is a strong level of skepticism that's directed towards um, what Vietnam's motives are, but also Vietnam's like successful response uh, at all, I think. However, the easy way to respond to, to skepticism when, when asked about like, you know, are the numbers that uh, indicate that they don't have a single death correct and uh you know mm. things like that yeah it's um, pretty it's, it's just suspicious right it like it's mm. immediate it's like how could it be zero how is that fucking positive it's like 90 million people there. it's like yeah. it's like almost it's like over two canadas right mm. like oh so I, I understand like well i don't know i don't know if i understand but like you can see why they're suspicious right even though there's mm. no, no proof to their point at all there's zero proof that there's, there's any no lies proof. going on yeah. And here's the fact, like, we have 90, our population is 95 million, uh, about that. And then uh, our, the Facebook user, the Facebook account that we have is nearly 50 million. Holy Mi- shit. Like, that amount of Facebook accounts, like, you think that we can hide, like, 100 deaths from that, those 50 million Facebook accounts, plus <laughs> the other social media? like, it's impossible. When, and whenever I saw like people like Vietnam is lying, Vietnam is hiding real numbers, and I just asked them a simple question: Okay, do you have any evidence for that? Please let me know. And they all shut up. Because okay, but like the thing is, 
the response from from americans uh would be that you know they're not reporting the numbers because they're brainwashed right like this is the same criticism <laughs> that, that chinese people get like if they're if they say God anything remotely pro china <laughs> they just say oh they're brainwashed you know or, or or the government's hiding it so well that they can't see it right like those are familiar to us like on planet a, like we, we come across this bullshit all the mm. time we, we talk about it all the time um, but the reality is that like there's actually quite a bit of criticism on Facebook, right? Like mm. people will 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 talk shit about the government, about the local government, mm. if they're not doing something well, from my understanding, right? Mm. And there is yes. there is critical mass on Facebook as well, like fifty million, like like over fifty percent penetration in the country, like that's that's insane. Mm. Um, you know, my my family, like my mom, uh, fucking loves Facebook because it lets her. Keep in touch with her family back in Vietnam, yes, like before this. Facebook you know, it was, she was, it was strong in Vietnam. Yes. Yeah, it was really difficult for her to like get on a phone call or write a letter, uh, you know, God forbid, to to someone in Vietnam. But now on Facebook, she can like have a, a real time chat with someone and also mm. see what they're posting, what's happening. So like, it's interesting that like the diaspora, as well as the folks who are in Vietnam right now, are, are more connected than ever. And I, I see a ton of activity, just like a fuck ton of activity from Vietnam. So it mm. seems like it'd be like to your point really hard to hide mm. like you know actual death counts right and and yes. because there is a inclination towards criticism that that yes. the Vietnamese uh folks are not you know afraid to afraid to dish out as far as I can tell anyway right mm. so um Q is this your experience too like the d- does your family interact with people who are in Vietnam like do they have kind of opinions about uh the social media they're consuming there yeah, I think uh, in the Viet diaspora, there's a strong tendency to support individuals who might speak out against the government or have a tendency to uh, not support what the socialist economy might be planning for the people. Um, mm-hmm. And there is that skepticism towards uh, especially the government's ability to handle this situation, even despite its success. But what I usually say or what I try to get others to read is to just look at the facts, right? When you look, for example, at the uh, words of the Prime Minister Wing Sung Fuk, who says that the government is simply willing to sacrifice economic benefits in the short term for the health of the people, they're not just saying that, right? They're kind of uh, putting their yes. uh, money where their mouth is by yeah. doing things that are extremely drastic when you consider what a government does, such as like the reduction of the interest rate by the state bank. Like, that's not something that you would just do for the whim of it. That's something that you do when you take a crisis seriously. Um pouring $1.1 billion of liquidity into the economy. Those aren't just things that you just do because you're trying to, you know, pump up your success. Those are drastic measures you're taking in order to take care of the economic harms that might uh, affect your people. And, you know, another way to just look at it is, um, you know, there is a very strong tendency for us to compare uh, what's going on in Vietnam with the United States. Um, When you look at things like when they declared the national emergency, they declared the national emergency after the sixth case in the country was reported. We <laughs> declared a national emergency uh, on March 13th when there was 1,920 oh. confirmed cases across 46 states. Uh, oh, we, the United States crippled our pandemic response team, um, you know, just because like austerity measures were good. Cutting government spending is a good thing, apparently. Well, the Vietnamese government created a steering committee to accelerate responses, created a public health app to be able to coordinate, you know, um, people responding to the disease and you know the tiktok song like th- this is ridiculous when you're having the capacity to organically galvanize the people um private corporations and the government the success doesn't just appear as a miracle it's through a systematic effort that requires a cooperation of everyone from top to bottom uh, something that just doesn't exist in the united states it's it's not 
skeptical. It's like the skepticism is potentially, uh, you know, you might there might be reason for skepticism, but when you look at the facts, when you look at the mechanisms that were in place to be able to create the success, it does make sense. Yeah, and that contrast, right, is really important because I think that contrast is starting to change minds a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So going back to like the the question of like how do diaspora Vietnamese people feel about the success of Vietnam, right? So this is this is a tweet that you shared here, Q, um, mm-hmm. from someone online um, who says like I'm as anti Viet Cong as they get, and mm-hmm. laugh my ass off. Kind of fucked up to call it uh, 2020 offensive, but I get it, nationalism. But it's pretty incredible. Okay, she's kind of rambling a little bit. I don't really know what she's saying. But okay, she says here at, in the second tweet, also, all the rice ATMs that you all been seeing uh, was a result of people's innovation and collective do- donations. It was not government-driven. Vietnamese people love and care for each other, truly. And that's the bottom line of how this was done. Right? Mm. And I think, Q, you mentioned that like this person is generally somewhat suspicious of the Vietnamese, Vietnamese communist government. But mm. here they're kind of yielding and saying... Look, man, like the situation is pretty fucking bad. Well, they're not saying it explicitly, but as an American, you know, as American, you kind of know that that this is what's drawing it out is that they Mm. you have to admit that Vietnam's doing a good job, Mm. right? Especially when you see what the fuck is going on in in the states. This that's you know quite appalling. Um, this is there like you know is is there potential here for this crisis to to change the minds of Vietnamese diaspora, especially in America, about like what their home homeland their home country is like right like is there a way to is it is this is it possible that we're going to get through this suspicion and uh you know this like ideology that we've been we've grown up with here in the states or is it is it too tough to to wade through it feels like this is the the only chance we've got i know i mean i hope so i I hope that a crisis of this magnitude would force a lot of people to reckon with a lot of things that they haven't been able to understand or to reconcile in the past like when we look at the failures of the United States government, of capitalism writ large in these countries, like the of to so many countries in Europe that are just struggling to cope with COVID. When you look at mm-hmm. how um, you know the United States is handling this crisis, you really have to think about like what are these myths that we've been told about uh, the exceptionalism of the United States government, the exceptionalism mm-hmm. of these quote, quote unquote Western countries that are supposed to be more free or to have uh, better mm-hmm. mechanisms in place to be able to handle these situations, these governments that are supposed to take care of the people all failing one by one in comparison with these countries like Vietnam, uh, uh, with South Korea, uh, with other countries that are doing a much better job that we've been kind of told for a long time are these, you know, backwards failed states when in reality it seems like where we are, we are existing in the failed state. We're living in uh, a place where there is no cooperation between uh, public individuals or uh, and then the government writ large. There just is an incapability of us uh, kind of grasping uh, the possibility of success by looking towards a different alternative. I think uh, the situation offers us a unique opportunity to think, you know, what mm-hmm. might an alternative look like? Where do we go from here? Yeah. I mean, so there's this like, there's this tweet. Um, I think like teen from our team tweeted this this morning, but it's been, sh- it's been shared elsewhere. This picture of like the, the Ninja Turtles with like, um, uh, <laughs> who's the, who's the, the rat guy who like, runs the show he's like the master I yeah master roshi was it anyway it, it, it shows them like as as like little young turtles and it says american exceptionalism and then it shows them grown up and it, it you know for each of the turtles it says like largest homeless population largest prison population largest military budget most covid cases right mm-hmm. um i i might when i saw that I, I might add like you know uh 
like most most deaths from from mass shootings right <laughs> of, of any any country uh... um especially because like canada just like we had a mass shooting the biggest one we've ever seen and we just like immediately yeah. banned all assault rifles yeah <laughs> like two seconds like well yeah. two days but you know they, yeah. they, they try to work as fast as they can right yeah. and so america is exceptional in that sense but it's not in the way that they that that americans have have thought that myth to have meant yeah it's exceptionally shitty yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I want to add one more thing about the rice atm and that woman said in on twitter uh, yes, yeah. she was right when it came from like very anarchistically from like normal people just wanted to help. But you know what? Like when the government, especially the local government, when they heard about that, some local government, they even sent police there to protect people and to make sure that people like uh, uh, do all, all of them, like uh, got the social distancing there. They send the police mm-hmm. there to protect people. And other government, even uh, like they even like, because like for that big rice ADM, they need a a location, a place to put the ADM, right? So local government even like let them borrow the building belongs to the government to use to 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 put the machine, and hundreds of people can go there and take the rice every day. Okay, can, can I can I get oh. us to back up for a second? Because I actually wanted to ask you this on on the podcast mm. um, for for listeners who don't know, this this rice ATM is like almost a meme. It's like something that's a, that that people have been you know talking about with like vietnam's uh, response to COVID that's been circulating on twitter but mm. what is it like i i'm, I'm actually oh. not fully sure what it is just yet so oh, what's yeah, the yeah. rice atm um it came from the idea of the guy who's like easy put the rice in a big uh, big box okay and then it got okay. it, it got a tube go going down and then everyone go there they just need to push the button by hands or by feet push it okay. and then the the tube will open and then the certain amounts of rice will 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 run out and they, they just okay. take the rice home and then usually like uh, three kilograms for a person three kilogram i can eat a week by myself right so it's like a like something like that it's very easy it's very simple innovation from people so hold on so, so the rice is coming from according to this tweet from like other people, right? Like people are just donating mm. extra rice yes. that they can afford to buy. Pe- yes. And then people who need it can for free come in and take out three kilograms at a time. Yes. Does it get abused? Do people just take out like like six kilograms, nine kilograms at a time? Oh, we have, but like, uh, and then there was some shit people like that. And then like there were a team, like that comes in like friends appeal of the guy who created that. They mm-hmm. just came there and then they just want to make sure that one person get it one time per day, and then finally it stop. Like it's so like it's so weird that even like it stop. And then the guy who put the first ATM in Ho Chi Minh City, he even had to go out and beg people to take the rice for free because he has too um, too too much rice in the stock. Too many people donated rice, wow. and then like like less and less people go in and take the free rice every day. So like he got to go out and beg, well, like please take this rice, it's free. It's really funny when I saw this <laughs> picture. It kind of makes me think of, uh, and I think you, you shared this tweet on on your Twitter too, Luna, um, of uh, this like excess of potatoes. I think oh. that some some country is it in the states that they have like in, in way too the many state. potatoes. United States, in United States, they throw yeah. away potato. Yeah, 
I think in Belgium, they were asking um, citizens to eat more French fries because they had way too many potatoes. And I think in Canada, they actually asked last week to, for people to eat more French fries as well. Mm. Um, but like, because they were just dumping them, right? They were just yes. like, they had, you know, they weren't selling them fast enough and they were just dumping them to rot in like basically landfills, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think the same thing's going to happen with rice, but like you're saying that here in, in Vietnam, they've, come up with a system and like a, a simple device to actually let people kind of share it freely. Uh, mm. And then the government, the government came in, like you said, to yes. enforce, you know, social distancing, but also provide like, um, you know, uh, places to, to dispense yes. the rice and so on. Yeah. In the contrast in America, when like the food not bomb group, they try to deliver, like bring free food to homeless people. And you know what? Yeah. The police came and pulled the bleach into the food. So they can't, Give it for free to people. Jesus. And that's how America does to those people. Was there, that's how America conducts business. Yeah, was there a... Was it Venezuela where... I forgot where it was in South America. There was um, like two 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 uh, political parties that were, that were warring um, during a time... I think it was Venezuela because they're they kind of dealing with like a famine and a bunch of... Um, uh, issues right now around food shortages and i think there was like foreign aid coming in with with packages of food and one of the one of the parties like literally burned the food like burned oh. like the trucks full of food what? so that they couldn't get to the people right oh um, oh i don't know gosh. the details I gotta, I gotta look it up and show it in the notes but you know just stuff like that is just kind of appalling uh so it, you know you're seeing the kind of the opposite happen here instead uh, which is fascinating. So evil, man. We even have a rice noodle, uh, instant noodles ATM. People just go there and then <laughs> take the instant noodle and along with instant noodles, they will receive free eggs too because like instant noodle and eggs is a standard meal in Vietnam. I got I got to ask what what brand of instant noodles are popular in Vietnam? It depends because it depends on who donated what kind of instant noodles. Okay. Cuz I grew up eating um mama noodles. Mm-hmm. Which I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar. With. I think it's I, I, it's like Thai, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. and I recently got into um, uh, mie goreng noodles. Oh, mie goreng, uh, yeah, yeah, which are which are Indonesian Indomie Indonesia. mie goreng noodles, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why did my family always have these noodles, like instant noodles, on hand? Is it because it's like popular back in Vietnam and we bought it here too, yes. or yes. I don't know? You, you know, like you know about them, they they. Yes, I know about them. And then actually okay. the most famous instant noodle in the brand name in Vietnam is Mili Cat or Hao Hao. Hao Hao. Hao Hao. It's a Chinese word like in Ni Hao. It's a Hao Hao. Oh, I see. I see. It means like delicious. <laughs> hao Hao noodles. I'm looking that up right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I recognize this brand. Common That's the most famous. common. Mm. Interesting. Okay. It's, it's really interesting because for me, like, I don't know, you know, Growing up, I, I I didn't really I didn't really know many Vietnamese folks outside of my family, mm. and so like a lot of things you know I kind of like you know took for granted or didn't really question. Um, but but at some point in my life, I would run into somebody who like had the same connection to some some like cultural thing I grew up with, and one of those things was like those mama noodles, right? Mm. I remember I I like you know ate these noodles, like I would bring them to school, and it'd be kind of weird because like I'd be this Asian kid with this, these noodles at the school, but people like them, and I've never really met anyone else who ate them until mm. I had an internship in Seattle. I lived in Seattle for four months uh, for an internship, and I met some other interns who I think were from California, and they're they're also I think they were like. I, 
Taiwanese maybe. Um, and I had mama noodles with me because my mom sent me a care package. And they're like, oh my God, you have mama noodles. Like, oh, I, I, <laughs> I love those. Like, haven't had them since I, I left home in California. So, I don't know, it was just a weird moment just connecting with someone who uh, <laughs> who had that, that kind of shared <laughs> shared background. Um, okay, so uh, just just to, to move things along, one, one more thing I kind of want to talk about is, you know, to bring this all together, the idea of Vietnam as like a, a rising economic power, right? Um, mm. You know, I, I think that just from the numbers that Q shared at the beginning, right, with uh, Vietnam growing extremely quickly um, uh, as a country, as an economy, um, but also like Vietnam's kind of capacity to assist outside of their own borders in this crisis um, is really showing that the country is, despite being super small and still super poor, um, rising really quickly, right? So, um, you know, one thing I've noticed is that a lot of the um, uh, kind of clothing and apparel um, industry has moved from China in the last couple of decades over to a bunch of other countries, um, including um, Vietnam, including Bangladesh and Cambodia. Um, but it's not it's not just like, you know, kind of lower scaled, like mass production, cheap labor stuff like um mm-hmm work like like apparel you know apparel uh manufacturing but also uh like smartphone manufacturing right so a lot mm. of that normally you think happens in china right like in mm. in shenzhen um or in in you know those like foxconn uh mm. factories to, to that produce iphones and stuff but uh at the beginning of the the coronavirus um epidemic when wuhan shut down and china was shutting down um, a bunch of companies, um, I think including Google and their and their like flagship Pixel phones, had moved manufacturing actually to Vietnam mm, yeah. instead. Um, so you're starting to see a lot of this kind of like higher scale uh, work that's probably higher wage and is probably going to start producing that large uh, middle class right mm. that China had experienced over the last couple of decades right. So it's a it's a in a sense like in the you know in terms of growth like it's a very exciting time for for Vietnam. Um, you know, coming out of coronavirus, coming out of COVID-19 and the crisis, um, you know, what do you think are the, the kind of hopes and aspirations of uh, Vietnam, Vietnamese folks uh, in Vietnam, Luna? Like, are there people talking a lot about what, what life after COVID is going to be like? Yeah, a lot of people say that. A lot of people talk about that. Um, so, like, we all, like, kind of very optimistic about it because we know that, like, uh, we are doing really well compared to what's happening in the world. And then uh, we, like a lot of us, like talk like even this month could be a chance for Vietnamese to rise up and then to really show to the world that what are we capable of. And then finally, we can beat up those anti-communist propaganda against Vietnam for decades. And then finally, like they can look at Vietnam as we are actually are who we actually are in there but there's one one thing that we need to be really careful about that's because i isn't like a lot of big factories coming to vietnam Mm -hmm. is a a way of imperialism a new way of imperialism Mm -hmm. we have to be really really careful for that so like uh like we all we already have like um the anti-imperialist program such as like all the international cooperation if they want to go to Vietnam and put the factory in Vietnam, they have to have the Vietnamese partner to open with them. They cannot just like 100% uh, like uh, foreigners own a company in Vietnam. No, they have right. to have a Vietnamese partner. 
And then like, yeah, uh, it's very interesting when, about, when we know about that. I have to make a, a video about that actually, about like the anti-imperialism yeah. <laughs> program in Vietnam. But like, we, we, we see it, this is a chance, but we also very careful with this because like mm-hmm. everything could turn well, like badly. So careful. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting because I had just watched your um, you know, is Vietnam a, a socialist country video, and mm-hmm. you're talking about how as part of like the Doi Moi reforms and like becoming kind of a market economy, Vietnam had to, and in order to get a lot of aid, right, from like the WHO and the IMF and yes, not the yes. WHO, the IMF and, and other uh, international bodies, yeah, World yeah, Bank, World Bank, like, IMF, they 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 handcuffed you and they forced you to actually yes. adopt a lot of um, policy changes. That yes. generally involves stripping government and stripping like social aid yes. um, in order to receive money, and so yes. it, it's pretty cool to see that now, like you have these kind of what you would call anti-imperialist yes. um, kind of rules in place to say if you want to come to our growing country and do business here, which a lot of, like I said, a lot of countries do, like a lot of other corporations yes. and countries do, they have to kind of play by your rules now, by Vietnam's yes. rules instead. Yes. So there's a bit of a table turning situation <laughs> going on. Um, that's 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 pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, that's exciting. I mean, it, it's good that it's optimistic because I think that you know in North America it's not optimistic, right? In Canada, in the U.S., there, there's the the discussion about post COVID is about like how bad is this depression going to be? <laughs> is it going to be as bad as the 1930s? Is it going to be <laughs> bad as it's going to be wow. at least as bad as as 2008 is what we can agree on so far? Yeah, right? like. But, it, but, it, yeah, EJ, my partner, like he in two thousand and eight, he he owned business back then in two thousand eight, and then he lost everything because of that. And he mm-hmm. now he said for sure that the big depressions coming is got to be worse than that, way worse than that. Interesting. Why does he think that? Because like com- compared to the actual situation that's that's happening right now, and compared to the past, he said that like there's no hope now, like. Even back then, they didn't have a pandemic. All they care about is just the economy. But now they have to care for both the pandemic and economy. And there's no sign that it would be like better than 2008. And there's a really high chance that it's going to be worse. I don't know. I have no idea, okay? That's what he yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But, but if, I mean, if the thing is, if, if that happens, right, like because Vietnam is more economically connected to the rest of the world now yeah like it, it's gonna have an effect in vietnam right like yes, it, it's good it's great definitely. that you're optimistic it's definitely great that you're optimistic but the reality too is like if if the states are reeling right because mm. of a recession or depression exactly. they're going to be spending less money on vietnam as well which which yes. you know if which is a, potentially a problem Yes, right? it's, so it's, it's yeah. not that cut and dry, unfortunately. Like you need a little bit of independence as well, right, to yeah. function as your own economy, um, or at least with other countries aside from like the U.S. Yes, right? it will to, affect to us too. It it will affect us because like our economy is really open and we trade a lot with other countries with the world, and now we still like we have to stop importing and exporting something like that. It affects horribly to our economy. And uh, me as a communist, uh, I really, uh, uh, I really wish that we can turn full communism in this time because I, because anyway, we cannot change to the world, you know, we have to close the borders. So anyway, but like, it's just a, it's just a dream, you know, it's, 
is impossible. 2050, you said, was the the year, <laughs> the, the year, the goalpost that the government the government set to to uh, transition fully, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, actually, here's the thing. Um, in 2050, that is our deadline for us to to be enough socialist. Understand mm. that to be socialist enough. So we can start like moving toward communism. So it's kind of like a, a stepping stone towards that that final mm. goal. So like that's the socialism in Vietnam. We don't like we don't like go to one hundred percent socialist. No, we don't. We we just need to be socialist enough to move toward communism, to move toward a stateless and moneyless, classless society. Classless society. Mm. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very ambitious goals, right? Especially because, like, you had to admit that the world around you affects whether or not you can pull that off. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. Which is which is difficult, right? Because I think again from that 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 uh, video, um, you're talking about how Vietnam had a tough time after the Vietnam War because, well, first mm. of all, they went to another war immediately. Yes. But secondly, because the U.S. got you know all of its allies, like basically the rest of the world, to yes shut shut off trade from. Vietnam, they right? said like horrible embargoes on us. Horrible. We could not do yeah. anything, and we could not even feed ourselves because of the Asian Orange. So like, it's a it's a situation like, put a gun in your head and then force us to 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 open the Doi Mai reforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was um, UQ who shared this factoid about how like after the well during the war, I think it was like. I don't know some number like ninety percent of factories and like eighty percent of bridges were bombed by the U.S. So like, how the hell were they, like how the hell are those criticisms of like oh look the communist state failed is still a poor country right? Um, it, it doesn't seem like a valid criticism given the state that the United States have left Vietnam in after the fact and it, and you know it's still building up right they still had to um, merge into the market economy in order to to yeah. find a lot of growth um, so. It's going to be quite the path in the next thirty years to get to twenty fifty and and uh, yeah. become you know more stateless if if other countries are pushing back against that right. But yes. at least you're that's the thing. Like with this crisis, you're showing that you know some of these policies can work, right? Like some of these things can work. Some of it, like at least actually, uh, maybe people can see that Vietnam is doing something right. Yeah, at, at least. Yeah, I think the big takeaway here is, you know, to just kind of question some of the things we've been told about a lot of these uh, other countries that we're supposed to know as like failed states or like, you know, ignoring the fact that they've been under like strict embargoes and having like these uh, really intense economic pressures. Like even the the uh, situation you're talking about with the burning food in Venezuela, I actually just looked it up and it seemed like yeah. that was uh, actually performed by an anti-government uh, protester rather than like the supposedly authoritarian rule of the uh, Maduro administration themselves. Mm. So even like situations like that, where we're constantly having to identify what is you know facts, what is truth. And I mean, the facts speak for themselves. Vietnam is doing exceptionally well as a country in response to COVID. And maybe we should be taking some pointers from the way that they operate their government and their economy. Yeah, but you have to understand that there's like, you know, interests involved in, in that news making its way to American shores, right? So, like mm-hmm. one, th- one, like I, one thing I, I pointed out when we were preparing for this pod was like, 
um, you know, there's tons of pushback on China, like tons of pushback on anything yeah. positive China says about yeah. how they're dealing with coronavirus. And there is a bit of pushback. We talked about it. Like there's a bit of people who are suspicious about the zero death rate, you know, uh, or mm. death count in Vietnam uh, from mm. COVID, right? Um, but generally, overall, there's like a little bit less criticism and suspicion of Vietnam, despite being a communist state. Mm. Um, and it was, it was, I think, Jess on our team who suggested that um, the reason for that is because, you know, America wants to keep Vietnam close as an ally. They have to, right? Because mm. Vietnam's kind of a rising economic power. They got a lot of open trade happening, you know, mm. uh, post post Doi Moi reforms, mm. and you know they're they're going to become kind of you know maybe the next China in, in the in in the sense of becoming a manufacturing powerhouse, right? So, um, in that sense, they can't go to full you know ideological war with Vietnam in the same way <laughs> in the media as they as they are yes. with with China, right? Yes. So, that's worth keeping in mind for sure. Um, Yesterday, Donald Trump just called our prime minister and talked about COVID nineteen. Oh, really? A I don't call. know what's the real purpose of that calling, but like <laughs> <laughs> our news report, like uh, reported that like they just talk about COVID nineteen and then the, the Trump like con- congratulation Vietnam about like how well we're doing it and then. Uh, you know what? It's this really, really funny thing. Um, the, Donald Trump even offered like to send us ventilators to help us, blah blah blah. And I was like, I appreciate his goodwill, right? Right? But like, based on the actual situation in the USA, they are lacking uh, ventilators, and in Vietnam, we even can make ventilators by ourselves, and then we just have like thirty nine cases left. So like, I appreciate your goodwill, but actually, uh, you should spend those ventilators for your own like domestic <laughs> use. Yeah, when we're trying to you know turn down ventilators and uh, PPE being sent from China and dismissing it as like propaganda. Oh my god! Like oh my god! An arm of the the Chinese propaganda movement. I think I think we should probably be taking the situation a little more more seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it's funny. This is uh, this has been probably the most upbeat coronavirus episode we've had on Plan A for a while. In the sense, we're talking about like successes rather than just failures, right? So, um, so that's actually a nice change. Maybe we can end end on a note um, where we talk a bit about uh, travel plans. I, I don't know, Q, are you planning on, on visiting Vietnam again in the near future? Maybe not in the near future. Well, okay, not in the near the... future, but like <laughs> we, we don't know when we can go. But like, I don't know if you've been talking about. Or thinking about at least making a trip back at some point. It seems like one yes. of the safer places to visit, at least while the yes, I guess the safest so place. And then um, you'll prepare to have a two weeks vacation first. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My sister and I were joking, like, uh, what are the requirements for getting a Vietnamese citizenship? And we're like, wow, we really need to improve our Viet first. <laughs> Actually, it's freaking easy for you guys to have a Vietnamese citizenship. It's very easy. Really? In Ameri- oh. Americans? Oh, yes. Just prove that you have like Vietnamese parents and go to Vietnam, the embassy or something like that and they go, 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 got your letter or your documentation and they'll for why you can have Vietnamese citizenship. Hmm. Good Damn. Did not know that. Mm-hmm. Does that does a, does the situation change of your parents like fled as, as refugees? It's easy. Actually, it's for all like people like you. We don't really care about like how your parents got out. We just care like you have a Vietnamese parents, and that's it. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. 
um it's, it's, it kind of reminds me of cuba when cuba like let people flee if they wanted to they're just like we don't care if you go just go kind of thing but here it's mm-hmm. like we don't care if you want to come back just come back mm-hmm. um which is quite the opposite so um uh anyway i was, I was gonna say i i we talked to my family actually about making a trip finally uh to to vietnam um my mom and dad have not well my mom actually visited vietnam after like almost 40 years or something like that Ooh. just a, a couple of summers ago on a very short trip to saigon mm. uh, and my dad has not been back since he mm. left um ages ago so we've been talking about doing a family trip so i'm hoping that's possible soon i mean again it sounds like it's one of the safer places to visit mm-hmm. <laughs> during the during the pandemic today Definitely. so um once they once they stop that that 14 day mandatory quarantine then maybe it's uh, <laughs> time to grab a ticket so um, anyway, I think that's that's awesome. We've we've we're running up on an, on an hour. Um, you know, thank you, Luna. Thank you so much for uh, being on this um, uh, on this uh, podcast with us. Um, is there anything you wanted to plug? Like, we're going to add your Twitter and your YouTube channel to our, our show notes. But is there anything you want to add about your channel before we sign off? Um, the, yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. Uh, thank you so much for having me here in this podcast um uh, so nice to talk to you actually this is the very first podcast of me with a uh, vietkio oh really um, the, uh, yes yes i awesome. have a Viet- i have a vietkio friends but like this is the very first podcast uh, uh to, to talk to vietkio like you and then this is a message from me to all people like you so like um um i know that your your families had like reason to leave vietnam in the 70s and even in the 80s but like uh I feel really sorry for what your families have been through, but like Vietnam changed now already. Vietnam changed a lot in the last 45 years. Mm -hmm. And then Vietnam is very friendly to all of you and we open, we all, you're always welcome home. And we changed a lot in Vietnam. It's a beautiful country. Our people is friendly and our food is awesome. So if, <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. if you have a chance to visit Vietnam, please, please don't hesitate to do that. You're always welcome home. And uh, don't trust too much on the anti-communist propaganda about how horrible and our, how authoritarian, uh, authoritarian Vietnam is, blah, blah, blah. So because it's not like that at all now. Actually, I got I met a lot of Viet Kiel who came back to Vietnam for like for traveling and even like mm-hmm. some of them decided to move back to Vietnam forever to start a family in Vietnam. And they all told me that like they were so surprised when they actually moved back to Vietnam and like yeah, it changed their mind a lot. And then I hope that you all will just give Vietnam a chance. Just give us another chance to prove to you that Vietnam changed a lot, and then uh, you will be surprised about what you're gonna experience. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for sharing that. I, I think you're you're preaching to the to the choir. I think people are a lot of people, folks here, um, you know, who listen to our show are, are kind of on that side. Uh, I also say that I think that Vietnam is like super hot right now. I think people love traveling to Vietnam. So it's um, hot. You know, yeah, well, literally hot as well. But um, uh, I, I, I do hope they, they take your advice. I'm definitely going to take your advice, hopefully, in the next uh, year or two when things die down a little bit. So yeah. thank you for sh- to sharing that. Um, Q, any last thoughts from yourself? Uh, not really. Just wanted to kind of give the takeaway that we should really think about the way that things are run here in the country and in the West and maybe take some pointers from other countries that are doing things uh, particularly well. 
uh, like Bitmap and mm-hmm. see uh, what exactly it is we can incorporate in our so in our civil society here. Awesome, thank you. All right, so uh, with that, um, listeners, you want to help us out? I, I think I'm supposed to plug. You know, check out our Patreon. Check out um, us on SoundCloud uh, if you haven't found us there already. Rate us on iTunes. Uh, and with that, uh, this is uh, Philip signing off on a very positive Plan A episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.